0: Welcome to the Nittany Blues Podcast by Penn State fans for Penn State fans. Here are your hosts, Andrew and Vince.
1: What's up, Penn State fans? Welcome back to the Nittany Blues podcast. We are back after the holiday week. Hope that you all had a nice Fourth of July out there. And Vince, it's good to see you again too, my friend. How are you?
0: Yeah, good to see you. Glad we got to get together over the Fourth of July and have a you know great barbecue. Um, Fred and Bill are both proving that they're uh, you know in good shape for tailgate season. They haven't been slacking in the off, se- off season, so their tailgating is still fantastic and. Uh, yeah, you know, I think they're going to be ready come Labor Day weekend.
1: Yeah, no doubt. The those wings were elite.
0: Very good, very good. Everything there is uh, fantastic. So no no complaints uh, on my end.
1: That's right. Yeah, and speaking of fantastic, one thing I want to lead off here is uh, a little bit of kudos, maybe a little pat of the back on on the part of Vince Fidale uh, for being the first state college resident to finish. In the Happy Valley Ironman race. So Vince, you can like correct my terminology if uh, I butchered that a little bit. But there was a story written by Jeff Rushton, who writes for statecollege.com. And I'll link the story in the show notes, uh, detailing some of the highlights from the event. And it has a fantastic picture of Vince crossing the finish line as the first state college resident uh, to finish the event um, made its round on social media. We retweeted it on Twitter. Um, it's just overall a fantastic, uh, photo. So Vince, uh, why don't you share a little bit about the event? I mean, I'm sure it was a, an amazing experience, uh, being able to do something like that in your backyard of state college, a place that we both hold near and dear to our hearts. So what was it like?
0: Yeah, it was a really special race. Uh, and part of what made it fun, you know, uh, just knowing the roads is so convenient and be, being able to bike the entire bike course uh, before race day is really nice because you kind of know how much farther you have to go and how to manage your efforts a little bit, uh, even though I did kind of go too hard on the bike, which I'll, I'll talk about later. But uh, looping back to the swim, uh, I had, my swim training has not been going very good, just haven't been able to get in the water as much this year, but I PR'd by over a minute, so I swam uh, a minute faster in the water than I ever had, so I had a pretty good swim for myself. Uh, then got on the bike, uh, you know, just kind of tried to hammer and pass as many people as I could. Went through a rough patch on 64; it was kind of tough going through the headwind, but um, you know, did pretty well in the climbs. And then kind of the last section from Center Hall back to um, Beaver Stadium uh, really let it rip. And that's kind of it was kind of one of those um, routes that we do for our cycling club. Uh, so I really knew the roads very well from that point cause I ride them all the time. So, uh, at that point in the race, it started raining a little bit. So the roads were a little slick. So, you know, other people had to be a little more cautious around corners and turns and stuff like that. But since I kind of knew exactly what every kind of twist and bend would be, I was able to really hammer and, uh, kind of save myself some seconds here and there that, you know, was a little bit of an advantage over my competitors, uh, which was nice. So. Definitely biked like uh, a madman up Sem- Center Hall Mountain and uh, was kind of panicking to make up places, really hammered the back part of the bike. Uh, then I hopped on the run course, which is usually my biggest strength, uh, but uh, I definitely my legs are feeling that effort on the bike. So um, wasn't breathing heavy or anything, but you know when you lift weights and you're like bench pressing or something and then you just can't do that heavy weight anymore. Uh, that's kind of like what it feels like if you over bike on the run and that's kind of the first time that ever happened to me. So that was definitely really humbling, uh, to run about, like about five minutes slower than I typically do in a half marathon. So that, you know, that was, that was tough, but you know, to finish 28th overall and I feel over 2000 and have a great time, I had tons of you know friends and out there cheering and stuff that I knew and saw tons of friends on the course. So that just made the experience a lot better in, in general, as opposed to, you know, traveling five hours to a race where you don't know anybody. And, you know, then you kind of, you know, you show up, you do your race, you eat the food and leave. And so it definitely made it, uh, really fun. Cause there were, you know, you know, dozens of people in the community that I knew out there and that just made it uh, that much more fun. And then having the best finish line you could possibly have on the 50 yard line with Beaver stadium. Um, I did do the, joey porter arms that's the photo they caught i was doing like the joey porter lockdown you thing uh and then i did the the trace mcsorley home run as i crossed the finish line i did think about doing the saquon crazy arms but my i was running way too slow for that to like look cool so (laughs) i i i did the saquon crazy arms as i was kind of running into the water because they would send like three people every 10 seconds into the water that way it's not kind of getting overcrowded and you have some of your weaker swimmers getting panic attacks and stuff. And it's I, I'd assume it's easier for the lifeguards too, uh, just to have less bodies to watch in their zone. So, you know, I was kind of running running into the water as fast as I could. And my arms were kind of going crazy. Uh, so I, I like to say I do all three of the recommend recommendations. Definitely enjoyed the uh, you know, the comments we got on Facebook and, and Instagram. So I was able to incorporate all three at uh, different points in the day, but you know, overall really special. Uh, you know, my, my one buddy finished a couple minutes behind me and he's like, Oh, I was this close to being top state college resident. And, uh, when I was greeted at the club ride this evening, everyone's like, Oh, top local right there. <laughs>
1: <laughs> nice. Uh, yeah, you have like a little bit of celebrity status. So, uh, and to your point about doing the celebrations, I think that The Joey Porter celebration was the perfect one for the photo because because it's just a still image. It just looks like your hands are just like off to the side, like like Rocky pose sort of thing. Like it just made for an excellent picture. But uh, so talk about the crowds. I mean, I saw on Facebook. I mean, there was a ton of people that I knew that actually ran in this race, like a bunch of my old classmates. I saw uh, pictures on Facebook of them running it. Uh, They were with like the logo outside the stadium. So was it just like a mob of people?
0: Yeah, there was a lot of fans out there. Um, it was really cool, even on the bike course. course there were a lot of fans everywhere. Uh, the Amish didn't have church that day. Uh, I guess they have it every other Sunday, which I didn't know. Um, but it was cool. There was a lot of them out cheering kind of in the smaller towns. And you know, a lot of Belfont residents, Mill Hall residents went out to cheer, as well as, uh, you know, Center Hall. There was tons of people at the bottom of the mountain, and even some people up the mountain, which is awesome. And like there were some people who wrote like lay, la la on the, the mountain kind of like the Tour de France so definitely had that vibe to it a little bit because that was like the one really big uh climb up Center Hall Mountain uh, about a 3-mile climb so it was a, it was a lot of fun uh had a great experience definitely looking forward to uh you know doing it again in the very near future
1: awesome did you see anything crazy during the race like did anybody just like completely eat it when they were on the bike or like a couple people get tripped up like during, during the run, like anything like that.
0: I do think there was a couple people that wiped out on a turn. I heard, uh, I think they were okay and everything. Um, so outside of a couple, you know, racks in the rain, nothing, nothing serious, which, you know, for an event with this many people, you know, there's going to be some people mishandling their bikes, especially when it's wet. Um, and triathletes typically aren't the best bike handlers. So, um, you know, it, it, it was i don't think anyone got really really seriously hurt so i'm you know happy everyone uh you know seemed to get to the you know the finish line uh okay or you know to wherever they were going a lot the there was, it was pretty humid too so a lot a lot of people didn't some people didn't make the time cutoffs um you know so they weren't able to you know fully finish the race but uh you know it was a tough day and it's definitely one of the tougher ironman courses in my opinion that was probably uh my slowest time on an ironman branded course uh even though i did place pretty well so it was a you know it was a tough honest course
1: gotcha well nonetheless uh massive congratulations to you that's uh a great achievement um to have to your name i mean just a great experience overall i'm sure as saying as somebody who didn't run the race will never run the race so i'm just uh you know just going to be able to be here in the passenger seat cheering you on so uh, super happy for you on that front. Um,
0: yeah. Oh, and one more one more thing I do want to add. Uh, fittingly, uh-huh. uh, a Penn State alumni won the race. Uh, my buddy Matt Gunter. Uh, you know, he came back from uh, Colorado, and he's he was the national champion in the for the age groupers in the sprint distance, the Olympic distance, uh, and then he's won I think two or three half Ironmans. That was probably his fourth, uh, third or fourth that he won. Uh, but yeah, he won the race by about five minutes. So really cool to see a you know, friend and Penn state alum win the overall title, and then kind of a inside scoop that I have for, you know, the podcast is that he's going to make the uh, transition to going pro next year. He did have his pro card and this is his last year of uh, age group racing. So, you know, there will there'll be a new winner next year, most likely, uh, as he's, uh, you know, looking to step up to the pro field and see what he can do uh, at that level, along with, uh, you know, Jason West, who's in the, top 20 overall in the, you know, PTO world rankings. So, uh, you know, Penn staters are, uh, and state college residents are doing really well in the sport of triathlon. Cause, and you know, can't blame us cause we have, uh, so many great mountains and roads to bike and places to run. So, uh, it's a really good, uh, outdoorsy town in general.
1: Yeah, for sure. Uh, that is cool though. So, you know, you have your, uh, your guys moving on up in, all different kinds of sports. So speaking of going pro, uh, I think this is a good segue. This was like one of our quick talking points. Uh, we had a couple of our baseball players go pro uh, over the past couple of days. Uh, the MLB draft took place with the Pittsburgh Pirates taking the LSU pitcher uh, Paul Skeen's number one overall. Um, the MLB draft is very long. It's very lengthy, uh, lots of rounds. So, you know, it's hard to, uh, keep track of all the different names from all the different schools that are getting drafted. But we did have a couple of Penn Staters get drafted, uh, most notably with, uh, Jay Harry, um, getting drafted in the sixth round. And I believe we also had another player, a pitcher get drafted in the 18th round, uh, I think earlier today. So yeah, we have, uh, players in all different kinds yep. of sports, uh, um, aspiring yep. or reaching their pro aspirations.
0: Yeah. And, uh, I got, I got his name up here. Uh, Daniel Oderkirk, I think okay. this is his last name, I probably might've butchered it. So, uh, sorry, Daniel, if I messed it up, but, uh, you know, <laughs> number 547 overall in the 18th round. So really awesome to see, you know, some Penn Staters getting drafted into the major league baseball.
1: Yep. Big news uh, with baseball recently. I mean, obviously, those guys getting drafted and also uh, baseball bringing on new head coach Mike Gambino, uh, formerly of Boston College, uh, brings a you know a solid resume to State College. Um, There's a little bit of uh, juiciness kind of around his hiring because uh, Gambino signed what was essentially an extension at Boston College. And then I think it was like less than a week later announced that he was coming to Penn State. Uh, what I'm curious um, to know is like kind of what his past relationship with uh, Pat craft was like, given that craft was formerly at uh, Boston college. So, you know, I'm sure there's like some, some past history there um, that might've enticed Gambino to come over to Penn state, but either way, it seems like he brings a pretty solid pedigree. So um, Penn state baseball saw some pretty, pretty decent success uh, in this past season. So I think uh, fans should, kind of just look for that to continue next year
0: yeah we got that boston college to uh penn state pipeline going so you know, yeah. good to see it um uh, you know it's always good when you know people move from laterally to your university i think that's a a really good sign uh you know that the program is heading in, in the right directions and uh some other good news on the diamond uh penn state softball actually landed a transfer commitment from Pitts Pitts uh haley brunson so uh Another flip from Pitt to, uh, you know, our Nittany Lions. uh, So that's always fun to, you know, rub it into the Pitt fan base whenever we can. So that's uh, some more news on the diamond. Yeah, I have I have
1: a good segue then from that talking about, you know, uh, Pitt, you know, player aspirations and stuff like that. Uh, So this um, transitions from baseball then into football, specifically football recruiting. Um, So the biggest news out of the last couple of days was Penn State securing the commitment from four-star edge rusher Malachi Williams. Um, He's a kid out of Pittsburgh, um, was highly recruited. Uh, He chose Penn State over a handful of different SEC and Big Ten schools, such as Georgia, Michigan, and a bunch of others. But very notably, he was very high up um, as a target for the Pittsburgh Panthers. So Penn State just uh, snatching um, a prime Pennsylvania talent. Uh, to come to stay at college. So, you know, it's just rinse, repeat here, Vince.
0: Yeah, just keep on doing it, dominate the state. (laughs)
1: Yep, that's right. So we got, we got Williams uh, coming on board. He was a big target for Penn State, obviously. Um, Penn State, you know, with some of the recent recruiting success has really been moving up the, um recruiting rankings list uh for the 2024 class um pretty much all of the major publications now have penn state situated uh pretty squarely in the top 10 of their team rankings uh which is no small feat i mean penn state has consistently been there um in the past handful of years under james franklin um you know right now they're ranked ahead of schools like lsu tennessee florida state in uh some of these things so um the stars matter, the players matter and recruiting matters. So Penn state is, uh, you know, doing good things in that, in that regard. And, um, they're not done yet, you know? So, um, a lot of, uh, the quote unquote experts and insiders and stuff like that have linked, um, a number of players to potentially commit to Penn state in the, uh, in the coming months, including top 100 interior offensive lineman, Liam Andrews. So we are, uh, you know, Penn State's good not done. Name. Franklin's not done. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm a fan. But uh yeah, so um I think uh Penn State is um I think uh, making good on their promise so far of trying to be aggressive after their Rose Bowl victory, you know, just like making sure not to squander that opportunity. Um they're they're recruiting with the best right now.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I I do think it's, you know, important that we bring up that Rose Bowl victory because the past two uh, season for Penn State have been very mediocre before uh the success success of this year and you know that Rose Bowl victory and with how strong they finished the season and that that gets you know that gets high school kids excited and they want to come and play at you know big time programs that are you know do, doing really well uh you know Michigan State was pretty good 2 years ago and then you know this past year they kind of fell off and you know and, and now suddenly up. and now suddenly East Lansing is a less desirable location so you know, I think the fact that uh, you know Penn State is capitalizing is uh, really huge uh, to do it now especially since this was really the last year that the Rose Bowl is going to be uh, in in the format the typical format that it is with a uh, pac 12 big Ten opponent
1: absolutely yeah um, Penn State should bring that up again and again and again until the end of time. <laughs> I know we certainly will um, you want to talk quickly about uh, you had, told me about some news with uh, speaking of, you know, the PAC 12 and stuff uh, and the changes that are coming with that um, USC versus Penn state is officially scheduled for October of 2024. Is that what you told me?
0: Yeah. So the, I, I did, I don't know if this is a, you know, a good, reliable source. Uh, I got a kind of a pop-up on, on my face, Facebook, and it said, okay, yeah, <laughs> USC, was coming to Beaver Stadium October 19th and they had like the entire schedule there. Um, And then I guess the last like four games of their season are like every game after that Penn State game is home or Mm. in Los Angeles. Their only uh, away game is UCLA, but they don't really travel for that. Um, So pretty much they don't have to leave Los Angeles after October 19th, which is, wild to me that they're just kind of giving them this little pampered treatment and they don't have to go play in the cold. And, um, you know, I definitely see if that is true, like the actual schedule, um, and it, it is, you know, reliable and legit, then, you know, kind of a, a shame, I think that, you know, we're not going to get to see them and how they respond in those conditions. Uh, uh, but, you know, Time will tell Uh, because I I looked on Penn State's website. I couldn't really find anything in regards to their schedule. So I figured theirs would also be up. Um, So it could be true. It could be a rumor, but rumor that, you know, the rumor mill is always spinning. So Mm -hmm. um, what are your thoughts if that if if this rumor is true? What are your thoughts on that? I don't hate uh, having it in the month of October. Um,
1: I think it would make things more interesting if they had to go. Um, someplace place cold um, in the month of November, say like Ann Arbor or Madison in Minnesota. November. Yeah, yeah, like one of those places. Um, I don't hate the idea of this game being in mid to late October because that tells me two things. Whiteout. Yeah, that's definitely going to be the whiteout. They love to put the whiteout uh, for those October games uh, because September is all about like non-con, you know, non white out game schedule time. Um, and two, uh, that's going to be a night game. Like I would yep. bet my house on it. So um, I don't hate it. Uh, I know we we kept joking that, you know, we'd love to <laughs> see them in Beaver <laughs> Stadium in November, maybe with a little bit of snow
0: or whatever. But um, yeah,
1: I I'm on board.
0: Yeah. Well, maybe that day we'll get a cold rain. Uh, we've been getting a lot of it lately uh, up here. So uh yeah, especially like uh you know Sunday man all, all that uh, flood flash flood warnings and stuff yeah it was a little crazy a couple of days ago but um you know hopefully uh, for the rest of our games though we get you know beautiful weather for the fans to to enjoy the game that's right and my dad actually did have a good point though um, he had mentioned
1: about the freak snowstorm that happened in October of 2011. Um, when Penn state played Illinois and Illinois was actually half decent that year. And yeah, wasn't that,
0: like six inches of snow.
1: It was, it was the strangest <laughs> thing. Cause it just, it just came out of nowhere. And it, it made for like one of those days and one of those games that you just talk about forever, because it was just one of those freak things that just has not happened since. And, probably will be a long time before it happens again. So, you know, maybe maybe history will kind of come full circle and we'll get some mid-October snow in State College uh, for that game. So, you know, one can hope.
0: Yeah. yeah, and actually I remember one year there was like a ton of snow um, in the State College area. I think I'm a, I was in high school and Penn State was supposed to host regionals for cross-country and I guess they got like so much snow, they decided to like move it over to Lock Haven and they actually ran regionals at Lock Haven instead. So, which you wouldn't think that would make sense because Lock Haven only a, you know, 40 minute drive away and, you know, similar snow amount. But yeah, so I'm not sure what the reasoning for that was, but uh, Penn State did actually move a regional championship over to Lock Haven because of weather. So, mm. You know, interesting you know tidbits about weather happening early in like october november like you never know what you're gonna get
1: yeah plus it seems like there's a, like a little taste of destiny there with uh, you eventually running at lock haven
0: yes yes uh you know the destiny so <laughs>
1: uh
0: but yeah so obviously we've got
1: a lot to look forward to in 2024 i mean we're we're only scratching the surface right now because once those official schedules come out we're gonna be all over that uh and talking about our new friends out West. Uh, But while we uh, have to wait to learn more about that, one thing that we do know about football right now is that Penn State has a lot of playmakers and a lot of uh, second-year guys who are playmakers. And most notably, at least for this topic of discussion, uh, Nick Singleton and Katron Allen, two star sophomore running backs in their own rights. Uh, Nick Singleton, the, you know, big Ten freshman of the year um, D- dark horse Heisman candidate level player just absolutely electric uh, playmaker on the field for Penn State can score almost at will uh, if you give him just enough space uh, and one thing that he's been talking to with beat reporters a lot recently has been the idea of a sophomore slump uh, because you know it's just that that um, that old trope in sports, kind of that uh, that curse, that belief, that idea, if you will, that when a player has a lot of success in their first year, they come back for that second year, and things kind of uh, take a dip a little bit in terms of their production, in terms of their explosiveness and their effectiveness and all these things. And so one thing that he has been saying is that Jaywan Wan Sider, the running backs coach, has not shied away from this idea and has been pounding it into the conversations with him and Alan that, you know, this is something that's out there and that you got to be aware of that. You got to, uh, prepare for that. You got to overcome with your preparation, with your training, with your practice, et cetera. So I guess, uh, my question to you, Vince is, do you think that Singleton and Alan are going to be victims of the sophomore slump?
0: Uh, I think they can avoid it. And here's how I think they can do that. Uh, No, I I do think that in in college, that junior year is your biggest jump in the third year uh, when you really kind of start to get it, junior, senior year. Um, However, I I think what causes a sophomore slump is, you know, stuff isn't brand new. So you think you're going to know what to expect. And then you don't know as much as you think you thought you knew. So I think if they kind of keep approaching uh approaching the game like they did their freshman year where they're kind of these new guys they were hungry they had a chip on their shoulder. I, I think if they really use that same mentality, uh, you know, they can avoid that. The other way they have to avoid that is making sure they're you know staying healthy so you know making sure that they're getting enough recovery enough sleep at night, um, you know, f- focusing on school and football and you know, they'll they'll be in they'll be in good shape, I think. And then another component of that is the strength and conditioning staff. Um it is really easy as a you know college athlete to overtrain. And if you do overtrain and get yourself too sore on you know game day, you're gonna look slow. And that's the bottom line. I know, I know I've struggled with that as a distance runner, is you know, training too hard. And then I get to the race day, and my legs don't have the juice because I left too much of that effort in training. And you know that that's a tough balance to find as an athlete. And as you kind of get to learn your body and uh, learn how your body reacts to things, and 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 learn how you feel and how to react to that, um, the more experience you have, the better you get at it. So um, you know they're still young, so they're they're still going to go through those processes. But you know I do think that it's really important that you know, like even like sports psychologist and the strength and conditioning staff, I think a lot of that is on them. And some of it's locked with injuries, like, you know, you can balance injuries by splitting the carries with Singleton and Allen, which we do expect them to continue like they did last year. So I think that'll be really helpful as well to keep those legs fresh. But, you know, you know, freak injuries happen too. So that's not like you can 100% avoid it. But as long as they're healthy, uh, strength and conditioning staff is doing their job, uh, they're still approaching the game with the you know same desires, same mentality. They keep hitting the film room and getting better. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't foresee a slump in their near near future. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think
1: so much of the idea of the sophomore slump is an issue of complacency. You know, you just feel like you figured everything out, or you've gotten to the point where you don't need to have that mental edge. You know, you don't need to have that same approach that same fire and intensity and stuff like that so i like the fact that sider's not shying away from this idea that he's really kind of adding in that little extra challenge to them uh to just kind of showcase like what they're able to do um in being able to overcome that or just avoid it entirely um because you know when i think of these guys i think of other players who notably did not experience the sophomore slump i mean look at saquon He came out his freshman year. He was he was a phenom. You know, he was just a Sanders journey brown. Yeah. And then Saquon comes back his sophomore year. He's the co Big Ten Offensive Player of the Year. Just an absolute stud becomes a Heisman contender. Just like create just was has one of the most iconic runs in Rose Bowl game history. Like it's just it's just about that approach and just having that kind of workman's mentality and just not thinking that you're better than everybody else and just making sure that you're just kind of hitting um, all the check boxes that the coaches are putting in front of you. And I think both of these guys are down to earth enough to take that message to heart. I think they're both um, hungry and motivated enough um, to put that into action. And I think they kind of feed off each other too. Like they're going to keep each other accountable in that way as well. So Um, And I think they just they just have too much in front of them to just kind of take it easy. You know, they know that this is essentially a revitalized rushing attack for this offense, like the likes that we haven't seen. I mean, it's I would argue it's even better than when Saquon was here, because if you look at the collective hole between the skill of the running backs and the offensive line, like it's not really a conversation, in my opinion. So I think from that aspect, too, they have this amazing opportunity in front of them. Why would they squander it? So that like, those are just kind of a litany of reasons why I think this is uh, like not something that people should just dismiss as like an impossibility, but people should have confidence that these are the right guys to kind of tackle this challenge.
0: Yeah. And I'm more worried about them being like me a little bit and kind of getting after it and going too hard. Like I'm more worried about them going too hard and trying to do too much and be Superman and, you know, you know, do crazy workouts and then they get themselves tired on game day. Um, You know, like, cause you know, that's, that is something like, you know, when you are that good, you just want to get better and you want to be more dominant. Like it's a really addictive feeling. Like I know, you know, when I, when I would perform really well, I was like, I want to get faster. I want to get faster. And I was like, how do I get faster? I got to train hard. I got to train harder. And it doesn't always, it's not a straight line path, you know, you do put in this amount of work and this is the outcome that, you know, sports don't work like that, which is kind of one of the challenges of, of sport. And, uh, you know, I, I, think finding that balance and, you know, I, I think, you know, listening to the strength and conditioning coaches and communicating with them and how their bodies are feeling. Uh, I think that's you know, really important. I'm, I'm sure they're doing that, uh, behind closed doors and, you know, I, I expect them to be, you know, ready. So I, I am de- like, I I'm saying I'm more worried about them overdoing it than underdoing it, not having that edge. Yep. I think that's fair. So, um, I think we're all obviously thrilled and
1: excited and pumped to see what they have in store for year two. I mean, um, this is really kind of a make or break, uh, part of their Penn state careers. Um, you know, because with the kind of talent that Penn state is bringing in all the time, um, you can't afford to be, slumping in your production because i mean we, we've we seen it before <laughs> like you know penn state loves to bring out the competition and give everybody a fair shot if they're going to produce on the field so not that i think either of these guys are going to take any plays off uh but we just know how kind of penn state rolls in in certain regards but uh, yeah exactly
0: artists- and, and uh you know look at guys like Noah Kane and, you know, keep Lee, like your spot is not guaranteed at, at Penn state, you know, in terms of the running back position, you know, if they yeah, find someone who's better true, though.
1: Yeah. But I mean, like, yeah, those they, guys. They
0: did a, yeah, that is true. I mean, that is true, but you know, if someone better comes along, Penn state is not afraid to, uh, you know, give them the rock is what I'm yeah. saying.
1: No, that, that is true. Um, so anyway, Uh, Still on the topic of football, but I kind of want to like save this for last. So in our last episode, Vince, I promised you another uh, chat GPT, who is the best Penn State player ever at this position question. Um, So I want to save this uh, for the end, though, because I think this is the most uh, interesting thing. Um, Did you want to chat some basketball and most notably uh, some of our guys who recently got drafted?
0: Yeah, so uh, you know, Summer League has been going pretty well for uh, you know, the you Nany know, Lions. Jalen Pickett is continuing to do Jalen Pickett things. I was able to catch the um, the Denver Nuggets preseason game versus the uh, Bucks. I think he was shooting around 50% from the field. I think he had uh, 12 points, maybe like five rebounds and six assists, somewhere around those kind of numbers. And I think he only had one turnover maybe. So he had a really good overall game. Uh, People were really getting in his grill and trying to be physical with him. And, uh, you know, he handled it just how you expect Jalen Pickett would. Uh, You know, it didn't really bother him at all. He was really a good floor general out there. So you didn't see him taking maybe, I think he took like 12 shots. I think he was five, 12 from the field and two or four from three. So he, he took a decent amount of shots and, You know, I, I thought he looked really good. Uh, he definitely looks like he's, he belongs, he's definitely going to be a backup point guard to, uh, you know, Jamal Murray and, you know, Denver Nuggets got a really good player. And I think you're going to see a lot of teams that are kind of in that contender role, kind of, uh, you know, regretting not drafting Jalen Pickett. So I thought he looked really good. Uh, funk, you didn't see uh, a ton of minutes with funk. Uh, so he didn't see the floor quite as much as Jalen did, uh, you know, as is expected with, uh, you know, only having a summer league contract. Uh, he was over two from three. The one, uh, was a really well contested shot and the guy was in his face. The other one, he just kind of missed. And really the, the shooter who really stood out was Hunter Tyson. Uh, if you remember that game versus Clemson, you know, where he was lights out from three, um, Hunter Tyson looked really good. Uh, he had over 20 points. Uh, you know, he's going to be a good player. Like he can definitely be a, you know, like a Duncan Robinson or maybe even a Tyler hero if he, uh, you know, makes improvements to his game. But, you know, he has a lot of length, which is really good for the defensive end. He can, you know, shoot really well. And then also he's doing really well, uh, you know, driving and creating contact and getting the free throw line. So he has a can score, you know, in different ways, even though, you know, being a three point shooter is his thing. And then Seth Lundy, uh kind of didn't get to see him play live, but read some things that he was doing good things on the defensive end. I think he actually blocked Jalen Pickett uh, when they played head to head. And uh, Seth, I think, got eight points in his minutes. Uh, he signed a, a two-way contract. So you might see Seth with the Hawks, but you also might see Seth on the, the G League team just getting some more experience. But, you know, the coaches really like those contracts because maybe you know uh, there's an injury or they're doing load management with the player. They can throw Seth in. But instead of Seth just sitting on the bench, uh, they they can also play him to, on the G League team, so that way he's getting experience. So he'll, he'll get all that practice time, and then if he doesn't happen to be getting a ton of minutes, they get him game, game time minutes as well. So I think Seth Lundy is in a really good position. Uh, I, I think he'll shine, and especially with that ability to shoot from three and then cover multiple positions on the defensive end and, uh, you know, really contribute in, uh, you know, things like blocks and, uh, rebounds. Good stuff. Yeah. Um,
1: I'm just happy to see these guys, uh, out there living their dream. Um, and Jalen Pickett, I think, uh, just has so much promise to him and his game and like the way that he's just able to do different things on the basketball court. Um, in addition to just facilitating other players, I think that he found just such a great home with the Denver nuggets. I think that, uh, They're going to work so well together. Um, I'm just going to maybe pass out um, when he and Nikola Jokic have just a filthy highlight, just passing the ball to each other until one of them just has like an easy layup or something like that, because that's just like how they roll. Um, Yeah. So um, I'm just super pumped uh, pumped uh, for them.
0: One thing I do want to point out about Jalen is, uh, you know, he was shooting, I think with the two games combined, he was shooting 50% behind the arc. And like one was a, I think a tough kind of pull up jumper for three, uh, which is a lot easier than a catch and shoot. So I was, I was really impressed with Jalen's game. That was kind of one of the main concerns I had with him going to the next level with the three point lines being, you know, farther apart and floor spacing being really important in the NBA, you know, is Jalen going to be able to shoot at a high enough, percentage from three uh and it's looking like he's able to do that and then you know we saw Jalen dominate smaller guards in the NBA there's not really small guards um and the physicality did not bother Jalen at all he looked great out there you know was a you know floor general out there which is exactly what you want from your point guard so uh yep. you know things are looking really good for Jalen Pickett in, in this early summer league good stuff Uh, So you got
1: anything else on basketball or do you want to chat some AI and football?
0: Uh, Yeah. I mean, I I think he's in a great position really mature team just won the NBA final. So I, I'm again, so excited, but uh, yeah, let's go to some chat GDP. All right. So
1: as I mentioned
0: uh, in our last
1: episode, we covered who chat GPT thought is the greatest Penn state quarterback of all time. And it voted for Kerry Collins for a variety of different reasons, uh, most notably um, his accomplishments during the 1994 football season um, with one of the greatest Penn State offenses ever. Um, and so moving on then to different position groups, we talked about going to the linebackers, and this is kind of the the hallowed grounds of Penn State football. Linebacker You like this is the position that laid the foundation for this program. Uh, so this was probably the hardest one um to debate, to decide, like not only from a human standpoint, but from an AI standpoint. So, Vince, I'm gonna pose the same two questions to you that I've been posing uh throughout this whole series, if you will. Um, I want you to tell me number one, who you think is the greatest Penn State linebacker of all time, and number two, who you think a computer would select as the greatest Penn state linebacker of all time. So the floor is yours.
0: Yeah, this is a really difficult, um, you know, question just because there are so many great linebackers. You have guys like Micah Parsons, uh, Abdul Carter, his sample size is too small. So we, we maybe down the road. He's, he's up there in conversation, but you know, he's probably not going to be there. You have guys like Michael Motti, LeVar Arrington, uh, Tom, hall leak, maybe throw in there. I don't know if he's more of a, more of an edge or a linebacker. So, you know, so many good players. Uh, I did have a one friend kind of, you know, talk to me about this question, uh, with how I should go. And, uh, you know, Jason can is another good one. And, you know, uh, Ronnie bell, I think, uh, was bell was linebacker, or Brandon bell, Brandon bell. I think, uh, mm-hmm. was another good linebacker. So a lot of good linebackers, uh, but I think I'm going to have to go and take my friend Natalie's advice. I'm going to go with LeVar Arrington as the, the best Penn State linebacker of all time.
1: Okay. so Am I right or pro- am I wrong? Uh, so just to clarify, that's who you think AI would select, LeVar yeah.
0: Arrington. In your opinion, am I right or am I wrong? No, I think you're right. I think LeVar Arrington is
1: the greatest linebacker in Penn state history. I think the stats speak for themselves. I think the highlights speak for themselves. Um, like you want to talk about just a guy who opposing teams just had to account for on every play and basically scheme their offense around. That was LeVar Arrington. His yeah. Another one. Of,
0: <laughs> another one. Right. I just, I just forgot Sean Lee. Like he was, Yep. maybe, maybe I wanted to kind of like forget he was a Penn Stater because he played on the Dallas Cowboys. Yeah. But Sean Lee was another great, uh, like there's just so many, you, you forget them. Like, And
1: even right before Sean, you had Paul Puzlesny. He was a two-time Chuck Bednarik award winner. Like there's yeah. just so, so many, so many great ones. Um, but yeah, so my opinion is LeVar Arrington. Um, so here's what AI and ChatGPT had to say. Quote, Penn State has a rich history of talented linebackers and it's difficult to single out just one as the greatest of all time. However, one linebacker who is often mentioned as a standout is Jack Ham.
0: Oh, that's what played- I was going to say, Jack Ham, too. Yep. Like- yep.
1: Ham played for Penn State from 1967 to 1970 and went on to have a highly successful professional career with the Pittsburgh Steelers in the NFL. He was known for his exceptional speed, agility, and instincts on the field. Ham was a key contributor to Penn State's undefeated 1969 season and went on to be inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame and the Pro Football Hall of Fame. While there are other notable linebackers from Penn State, such as Shane Conlan and LeVar Arrington, Jack Ham is often considered as one of the greatest in the program's history.
0: So that's that's funny because I was about to say Jack Ham before you started reading off uh, the paper because I'm like I was like he's like someone I never saw play in person, but I've heard his name a lot.
1: So well, yeah, and I mean, good reason for it too because he's kind of the originer, the originator of the term linebacker. You like he was the first like star linebacker that Joe Paterno had in his program. Um, You know, he's just a, just a guy from, from PA, like played his high school football in PA. I'm pretty sure he was from like Western PA out near Pittsburgh, played at Penn state, went to play for the Steelers. Um, Like one of only a small handful of players to be selected to both the college football and pro football hall of fame. So, I mean, just like from beginning to end, just an absolutely stellar career. Um, so I think it's uh, it's it's interesting um, how the AI portion of this kind of uh, consideration takes into account his his like awards and um, accomplishments in terms of hall of fame, as opposed to like. What you see on the field, because, you know, I I think when you're talking about players of like such different eras, I mean, you're talking about 1969, whereas LeVar Arrington was 1999. That's 30 years of difference, like totally different football and stuff like that. So, you know, it's like trying to say, like, who's who's a better slugger between like Babe Ruth and Aaron Judge? Like, it's just so impossible to, like, compare the two. Um, so I thought this was interesting. Um, even though I think personally that Arrington is probably the most talented linebacker ever, I think this is a, a worthy selection.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, he was up there on the the top of my list. I was about, you know, about to mention him and, you know, it's, you know, one of the, you know, one of the good things we have going on at Penn state, it's just like, we have too many good linebackers.
1: So. Yeah. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, I think, uh, It will be interesting, though, to see, I mean, with the current kind of, you know, structure and flow of star um, college football players into the NFL, I think we've got Abdul Carter for two more seasons. Um, But I think it'll be very interesting to see uh, what kinds of numbers he's going to put up over the next two seasons, because, I mean, he did everything that he did this past season with like half the playing time of a, you know, a normal starter if you will, because he only really came onto the scene in the second half of the season. So we're getting the full package this year.
0: Yeah, uh, really excited to see what he can do. Uh, If if you had to guess numbers, I'm going to guess they're going to be very big.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, huge, you might say. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But good stuff. So uh, what position do you want to do next time or uh, the next time that we kind of dip back into the chat GPT pool? What are you most interested in?
0: I think edge rusher would be fun. Okay. So maybe d- we'll say defensive end. Sure. Penn State's mostly been a 4-3 defense. Unless I'm yes. wrong. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say like
1: linebacker and defensive line are the two things that Penn State is most known for. So I think this is uh, appropriate.
0: Excellent. So looking forward to that for, th- for the next one.
1: Yeah. Agreed. Uh, so that's all I got for you here, Vince. Um, anything else that you wanted to chat about or should we call this a pod?
0: Yeah, I think, I think we can wrap it up. Uh, happy things in happy Valley. It's less than two months to kick off. It's going to be wild, uh, against West Virginia for that night game, uh, September 2nd. So really excited and, uh, you know, can't wait for the football season to arrive. Yeah. You
1: and me both. So we've got plenty to talk about. As we get closer to the season, we're going to do some uh, preview pods, talk about the offense, defense, obviously the full season, give our predictions uh, and some, you know, some bold predictions and stuff like that for what we're going to see out of our beloved Nittany Lions. Uh, So, you know, obviously, um, as we continue to produce uh, this this show, you can support us by going to check out our merch at shop.nittanyblues.com. Uh, feel free to get in on the conversation, uh, send us your comments, questions, your predictions for the upcoming football season by, uh, messaging us on social media or by emailing us at nittanybluespod at gmail.com. We love to hear from you. Uh, we want to just, uh, connect with all of you and, uh, make our communion predictions, your communion predictions. So, uh, with that, Vince, why don't you bring us home?
0: Sounds good. If you'd like to support the pod, please tell your friends, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. If you enjoy the show, please leave a five-star review so other Nittany Lion fans like you can find us interested in new episodes. You can subscribe on Spotify, Apple podcasts, Google podcasts, or other streaming platforms to be notified. Thank you for listening. And we want to remind you that we are the Nittany Blues podcast. See you next time.